chance. <laughs> yeah! I'm just all excited about it. And what we're going to talk about today, one of the qualities of life that we can't live without, is unreasonable hope. Unreasonable hope. And that's why, you know, Lloyd in that movie, it's like, yeah, we'd like that. Because we, there's, it's not just crazy, but we need that sort of hope in our life. That when things look a certain way, when we're feeling a certain way, we were born to live with a sense of hope that things could change, that there could be something more that God has for us, really, that, that, that our life that we could experience. And about 300 years ago, another work that was popular at the time, kind of like Dumb and Dumber, uh, but it's a little more of a classic, this guy named Alexander Pope wrote a thing called The Essay on Man. And the famous line in there, in one of his, his poems, is that hope springs eternal from the human breast. There's something about people that were wired to hope, were born to hope. There's, there's, we, we want to hope, and something tends to, to yearn towards hoping for something more, no matter, no matter what it seems like. And, you know, this is very important in coming into the life God has for us. Living as a Christian is, is not about modifying our behavior, but it's about changing our beliefs. And when we focus on just trying to change our behavior, it doesn't really work. But when our beliefs change, and they line up with, with God's beliefs, then everything changes. And hope comes from believing what God says is true. From realigning our thoughts from what our circumstances say to what God says. And a couple months ago, a bunch of us went to a, a seminar at our partner church, Morningstar Church in Lawrence, and we brought in a, speak, a pastor named Steve Backlund. And a lot of the themes he talked about were hope and, and joy. And it was so encouraging, so powerful. There were just like a thousand one-liners that a lot of us were just writing down furiously. But one of the things he said is that God loves partnering with people who have unreasonable hope. God loves partnering with people who have unreasonable hope. And if you, you read the Bible, like that's what so many of the stories are. You look at the story of David and Goliath, and you know, he's he's this this teenager. And there's a giant who's nine feet nine inches tall, who's got the whole nation of Israel in terror. And David goes to the King Saul and goes, like, hey, yeah, I've I think I'm gonna take him on. I can do it. And you know, that's unreasonable. That doesn't make sense, but God came through on his behalf. There's story after story, the story of Abraham. It's this guy who God promised, you're going to be the father of a family of nations. And he's in his 90s, has not had a child. And the Bible says that in hope against hope, Abraham believed. In hope against hope. In other words, in hope when there was no reason to hope. No natural reason to hope. It was totally unreasonable to have hope in his situation. He's in his 90s. His wife is right there, just a few years younger. And he is believing God. And you know what? When he was 99 and his wife was 90, she conceived. And they had a baby. And that became the nation of Israel. And they blessing the world ever since then. And that, through that was the line of Jesus. Hope against hope. Unreasonable hope. When God finds someone with unreasonable hope, he goes, I like that person. I can work with that. I can work with someone who looks at their situation and there's 
no reason to be hopeful, except they're looking to me. I'll partner with them, and I'll see God come through. So that's, you know, God, God loves that. He loves people who, another thing Steve, Steve Backlund said, is people who don't listen to the experts. You know, how many of you know there are experts out there that will tell you all the reasons why you shouldn't have hope? There's expert opinions. There's the facts. There are the reasons. There are all the reasons why you shouldn't have hope. And, but the experts miss it when it comes to how God's promises unfold in our lives. Now, that sounds really good, right? Like, yeah, let's live with hope. But how many of you know sometimes that the events of life can undermine our hope? Like, that sounds great. Like, yeah, that's nice, but then, you know, Tuesday morning we're feeling overwhelmed because our bank account's low or we got a test we haven't studied for or whatever it is. I mean, even small things can undermine our hope. Uh, and there's something about because we were made to live with hope, especially when you've hoped for something and you're not seeing it happen, the experience of disappointment is one of the most difficult emotions to get through in life. King Solomon wrote about this in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 22, 13, 12, and he said, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. I mean, when we're hoping for something, but it's not happening, it's, man, that is tough emotionally. And one of the things that's been a challenge for, for our family has been for the last three plus years, our, our oldest daughter, Anna, she's 17, she was a healthy, energetic child her whole life. There's, yeah, there's her picture. That was a little over three years ago. Um, so she's the kind of girl, like, if you couldn't find Anna, people would say, well, maybe start looking up in the trees, because she was always climbing trees, or climbing the roofs of neighbors' sheds, or buildings. Like, she's just full of energy. She was playing volleyball. She's, actually, this was the track season. She was in the top two in a couple events in the league and, and track that season. She was full of energy, life, motivated. And then she got sick about this time of year, three years ago. And she started feeling really fatigued, really exhausted all the time, started feeling uh, nauseous all the time. We didn't know what was going on. Started seeing doctors, and one month turned into two months, turned into three months. Thought, okay, finally tested positive that she had had an infection, maybe mono. And for the next two and a half years, we couldn't even get a diagnosis of what was going on, that she was... She's been in this place and continues to be of extreme fatigue, extreme exhaustion, extreme nausea. We've found some medicine for a while that helped with her nausea. Um, but just like in the last couple months, that stopped working. And so she's been wrestling through this, and it's been an emotional battle. You know, we've, we've seen, like I was counting yesterday, at least 11 doctors along the way. Tried, I don't know how many medicines. We finally got a diagnosis last August that there's this thing called POTS syndrome. Um, that seems to be what she has, that you get an infection and it can kick your body into this thing of, of the symptoms that she's having. And she was, she was handling it in a lot of ways really well, and then the last couple of months it's just been another blow and where she's not even able to go to school right now and just trying to keep up with her work at home and really not able to do much. And the, the challenge is, is tough. You know, I, it's seeing your, your daughter who's so full of energy and then, a few nights ago, 
who used to be that way, but sometimes a couple of weeks ago, she literally crawled up the stairs to go to bed because she couldn't she couldn't walk up the stairs. And a few nights ago, I'm carrying her up the stairs to go to bed. And you're like, man, this is this is not the dreams that I had for my daughter when she was born, or when she was in her whole life. You see what was coming along, and wrestling with God, and praying, and, you know, doing everything we know, with praying, and fasting, and doctors, and, you know, I know seeing God do some good things in the middle of it, but there's an emotional challenge of, man, what, what is going on? And that's, it's definitely tested Reagan and my hope, and our, our, it's, it's been a challenge to walk through this. And I don't say this, you know, I, sometimes I don't know how much to talk about it, because I don't want to be like, Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay, but well, this is what's going on in our life. And it's just like this whole huge subject. Um, but I share it just to say that life does things, things that happen in life that can tend to undermine our hope. And the things that you know, we, we have, you've got your own stuff. And if you don't, then thank God for it. But if you live long enough, there are going to be some things that happen in life where you're not sure why you're going through what you're going through. And so, it's essential that God wants us to have an unreasonable hope, even in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand. That our hope isn't determined by our circumstances, but it's, it's something greater than that. And so, what is this unreasonable hope? I'm just going to talk about a few, what it, what's involved. If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. But unreasonable hope is, drum roll please, First of all, it's four seemingly hopeless situations. If, you do, if, if we don't have any hopeless situations, then there's no opportunity for unreasonable hope. That's where unreasonable hope comes in, is in situations that, that seem impossible. Which isn't actually true. One of the things Steve Backlund says is, there are no impossible circumstances, or sorry, no, no hopeless situations, no hopeless circumstances, just hopeless people. And that's the truth. With God, there are no hopeless situations. There is a hope to be found in every circumstance in God. But there are hopeless people. And I want to read, um, read in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 20. It says, for the creation, all the world was subjected to futility. There's the hopeless, seemingly hopeless situation. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So the whole world is because of sin, ever since the first sin, is in this place of futility and frustration. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. What's that saying? It's saying that the whole world experiences this sense of futility and frustration. That deep in its bones, everything in creation feels that things are not the way they should be. There is something broken in the world. There is a greater way that that things should be. And it says, it feels that, but in hope that it will be set free. That we feel in our, in inside of us this, no, there's, there's got to be something more that sets us free from the way things are. 
You know, a lot of times people's answer to to difficult situation is, well, you just need to accept it. You can't really change it. You just need to accept it. And, And while it's important to realize that we don't have the power to change things, God's answer to the brokenness of the world is never, hey, just be a good soldier and that's all you can do and live with it. He has made us to be frustrated at the brokenness of the world. Whether it's racism or economic injustice or sickness, death, broken relationships. Like God's message to us is not, hey, just deal with it. That's the way it is. God says, no, you should feel that that is not the way things are supposed to be. That is not the way I made it to be. And I want to do something. I'm doing something. I'm in the building process of doing something about that. Um, it goes on, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning, under, groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So that's saying that we who are believers, we have been given the first fruits of God's Spirit. We have, God has put the down payment of His Spirit inside of us. And things have changed because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, because of God's Spirit coming to live in us. We are not the same and much transformation as we've already experienced. But we haven't experienced it all. And this is saying that there's the, what we have received as believers is a hint of the promise of what God is still unfolding and what He is unfolding in our lives and what He is unfolding in history. And it says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Now think about that. Do you want hope? Okay, well if you want hope, the prerequisite for hope is that you're not experiencing something yet. If you're already seen it, that's not hope. That's just gratitude. You're like, yeah, this is great. I got it. But the place of hope is where you're not yet seeing what you want to see. That's the whole, that's the tale. That's, that's where hope comes in. Following me? That's, yeah, okay. You're smart. You got it. <laughs> I'm not going to keep saying that. Um, Hope that is seen is not hope. If you have all you want, there's no place for hope. And so we live in this tension of God wants us to experience more. God wants us to trust Him for more. God wants us to hope in Him for more, for our own lives and for the world. But to live in a place of hope means we are in the place of of pain. At times, of man, we're not yet experiencing what we're hoping for. And that's just, that's part, of, part and parcel of how it works. It's interesting that in the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word that's translated hope is, can also be translated wait. In hoping, you're waiting. So sometimes some, some of the verses that say, hey, hope in the Lord, or those who, who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Some translations translate it, those who hope in the Lord, and some modern translations translate it, those who wait on the Lord. Because there's this, this waiting of you're not yet experiencing it that's involved in hope. And the idea of that word, it's like, 
It's the idea of a, of a rope that's being twisted, different strands of rope that are being twisted together and then pulled tight. There's a tension in the waiting. There's a tension in the hoping. That as we're in, in unreasonable situations, it's, it's the, the pain of standing in that place but saying, no, I, I want to hope. I, I want to hope in God for what he's doing in this process. And faith and hope are related. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's, there's a, that's what faith is. It's that we're hoping for something, you're not yet experiencing it. And you're standing in the tension, but you're putting your trust in God. So unreasonable hope is, involves unreasonable or un, situations that look hopeless. The second thing I want to say about unreasonable hope is unreasonable hope is from God. It's something he gives us. It's not something we just conjure up through our own willpower. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I have plans to give you hope. God gives us hope as we, as we look to him. And sometimes we're not even looking to him, but he just drops it in our heart. And hope rises where we weren't even expecting it. But the most common way that his, his, he gives us hope is through his word. God's, God's words to us, when he speaks to us, when we read the Bible, when we read the promises of scripture, something happens inside of us. And hope starts to bubble up. Hope starts to come to the surface. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, he's, he's, this is a prayer to God. He says, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Remember your word, because it's in your word, when your word comes to me, that helps me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promises give me life. God gives us hope, and most commonly where that hope comes is from hearing his word, hearing his promises. And as we walk with God, there are so many promises that he brings to us. And those come. It's important for us to grab a hold of those and, and remember those. I know in, in my own life, even in walking through this with our, with our daughter Anna, there are certain promises that I just grab a hold of in the midst of, I don't know what's going on, I don't know what's happening, but God, you promised you would never leave us or forsake us. You, you're not going to leave Anna. You're in the midst of this with us. And you can just kind of feel Hope starts to rise. You promise that you cause all things to work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purposes. God, you love Anna. You love us. You're working this for good. I don't know how. I don't know what you're doing, but you're working this for good. And in the end, this is going to be better because she went through this. There's promise. You promised that you would fulfill your purposes for us. And God, all right, I'm believing. I'm trusting in that promise. And hope starts to rise. There's so many promises I've been reading about. God says your offspring will, will inherit the land. There's so many promises about God gives us for our children and our offspring. And spend, Okay, God, yes, all right. I don't know how that's working, but that's true. That's from you, all right. And it's just as, as we get God's word and we put it in our heart, hope starts to rise. And so unreasonable hope is from God, and the next thing is unreasonable hope is, is in God. It's not in circumstances, it's not in ourselves, but it's, it's in God. It's, it's in who he is. I've thought about this with 
all the some of the the silliness of Christians going a little overboard. Some some Christians who think now that Trump is president, Jesus is in the White House, and I thank God for you know he's in control and there's some good things that Trump is doing, but the Bible says don't put your trust in princes. Put your trust in the Lord. Our trust is in Him. It's He is the one who who our trust is in, and it's trust in in His character. We can have hope because of who God is. He's a good God. There's, in the book of Lamentations, Lamentations was a book that comes from the word lament, which means to mourn. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah after Israel had been taken into captivity because of their sin. And it was a a lament, a crying out to God about the tragedy they were going through. But in the middle of of this this book of the Bible, this long prayer, there's, even in the most despairing circumstances, he's coming back to, but God, this is who you are. And we can take hope because of that. And in Lamentations 3.21, he says this, he says, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I love that. You hear the whole nation has been defeated and destroyed and like, man, I thought, God, you were going to make us a great nation and this is how the purposes of God were going to come into the world and it's all seemingly gone. He comes back to me. This is what I can trust in, that God is faithful. God is good. God is merciful. His mercies are new every day. His faithfulness is great. And I don't know how else is going to work out, but I know God is good. I can trust in his character and therefore I will hope. So our, our hope is in his character. Our hope is in his victory. As we, as we celebrated communion this morning, it's, man, we have hope because Jesus defeated sin and evil and death at the cross and with his resurrection. And he's brought his victory into the world. And that victory happened, and it's progressive. And we've got this little timeline that we like to, to use that shows, like, this is what history looks like. And I'm not going to go into it too, for too long, but... The line in the middle is, before that, it was futility and promise. But when Jesus came, the first advent, we find the kingdom of God growing and his justice and peace and righteousness taking it up just to an incredibly higher level. And ever since that time in history, Isaiah the prophet said that of the increase of the Messiah's kingdom, of his government and peace, it would never end. That we see God's kingdom growing in history. There's way less sickness and disease today in the world than there was 2,000 years ago. There's way more economic blessing than there was 2,000 years ago. There is so much more political freedom than there was 2,000 years ago. Women have a long ways to go, but they're so much better off than they were 2,000 years ago. And slavery, we could go on and on and on about the effects of the kingdom of God in history. God's kingdom is advancing. And that is the curvature of the line of history that we find ourselves in. And that we are seeing that progress and that will, the, the, 
mystery is how much are we going to see. I believe a lot of that we're going to see through God's people, through the church. And then Jesus comes back and takes it to the, the place of completion and what he has for it. And that's the, the, the next thing is that our hope is in God's character, his victory, and his appearing. That he is going to appear, that there is a day coming when everything is made right. Titus 2.13 says that we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That there's a day coming when we will be transformed to become who we were meant to be. That all the sickness, all the crud, all my, you know, if I still wear contacts at that point, that'll be over. Uh, whatever issues we're dealing with, we'll have a resurrected body. And the work of God that Rob was talking about, that the sanctification, the transformation of us in every way, that will be done. That will be, I shouldn't say done, but that will be completed. We will become, we'll work through all that stuff and come into who we were meant to be. And the world will be completely put to rights. And so our, our hope is in God and who he is, what he's done, and what he will do. So that's great. It's from God. But there is a part that we have to play. Unreasonable hope is also a choice. Whether we're going to experience hope or not has something to do with whether I'm going to experience it has something to do with my frame of my choice. What do I do? And in Psalm 42, there's a great psalm. They're all great, but this, this one's also great. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 42. He says, but this I call to mind. Wait, that's not right. I'm going to have to look it up. I've got the wrong thing in my notes. Or turn around, yeah. Psalm, psalm says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within, you, within me? Why am I feeling hopeless? Why am I feeling in despair? Just hope in God. There's the choice. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. There is a choice that we have to, to turn to God in the midst of what we're feeling. Say, God, I'm going to trust in you. And, you know, a lot of times when we become a Christian, most of the time when we become a Christian, there is just a, an infusion of a sense of freedom, a sense of joy, a sense of lightness, of like the weight of sin taken off of our shoulders. Like, this is awesome. I am, this is better than any high I ever had. Like, this is incredible. This is great. Man, life, God is so good. And it's, it's true. But, and that is part of the normal Christian experience, is those experiences of joy and freedom and lightness. But what we don't know is that that doesn't last all the time. You don't always feel that way. There are other emotions that you go through and challenging circumstances that you go through in life. And there's hope is, is looking to God in the middle of those circumstances. And when we look to God, then we find hope. I mean, it's kind of this, this circle that hope is putting our trust in God, looking to God. And as we do that, we experience hope. It rises up within us. Now, oftentimes there's a delay. Or sometimes it's quick, but sometimes that takes a while. The feelings often take a while to come around. There's that, that place of tension, that place of waiting. But as we're continuing to trust in God, put our hope in Him, then hope will rise. And, and that's the last thing I want to say is that unreasonable hope is not only a choice, but it's also developed. 
hope is developed. It's like a muscle. You all got a muscle. Sometimes it's hidden. Sometimes it's not obvious that we got a muscle under whatever's on top of it. There's certain layers of fat and lack of use and other stuff. But there's a muscle in there. But the more you exercise that muscle, the stronger it becomes. Uh, hope is like that. Faith is like that. A lot of things God gives us like, are like that. And so, the more we practice it, the more it grows in us. Um, honestly, when people ask me, hey, how's it going? Or how's, what do you, how do you feel about Anna? Honestly, sometimes I don't know how to answer, not because I'm so, like, feeling down on my luck, but because I'm actually feeling great. I actually have a ton of hope that I'm experiencing in my life. But I feel like a bad dad to say that. Like, yeah, my daughter is like, can't do anything right now, but I'm actually doing really good. Like, wait, what's wrong with you? Like, you're messed up. Don't you care? And I do care, and oftentimes it's really painful, but there's a reality of, man, God, you are putting, you're developing a hope in my life that's not contingent upon these circumstances. And I can have a good day. I can have a good week. Not, it's not dependent upon these circumstances going on. In, in Romans, the, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and he says, not only this, but we also exult or rejoice or brag in our tribulations. That's pretty crazy. That means he's saying that when a really tough thing comes his way, he goes, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. And I, I looked it up. That word exult, it really, the idea is, it's like something that holds your head up high. It's the idea, it's living with your head up high, boasting from, from a particular vantage point by having the right base of operation to deal successfully with the matter. Figuratively, it refers to living with God-given confidence. That means your head is high enough up that you have the perspective that these circumstances aren't everything. But God is above these circumstances. And he is doing something that I can't understand. And so, I'm rejoicing in this tribulation. And this is, this is why. It says, because tribulation brings about perseverance. So, okay, God, the tough stuff I'm going through, there's a purpose in that to give me perseverance, to give me endurance. Perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character, hope. Wow, isn't that interesting? That one of the, you think that maybe the, 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 the result of having a lot of character in your life is that you just, you just deal with it. You just, you know, life's tough and that's just how it is and I got character. But no, it says God, God's character in us overflows in hope. That's what God, when we have God's character, it's, we're in a place of trusting him, of hoping in him, of, of having that in our life. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our, within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. And you know, that's exciting because unreasonable hope is, is a, place, a great place to live from. There, it's interesting that the more of a place of hope we're in, the more likely it is that God's going to use us. 
The more light, it's interesting that spiritual gifts, oftentimes they flow out of a place of hope. If we're, if we're not in hope, it's unlikely that, it's, that spiritual gifts are going to flow out of us. But when we're, when we're in a place of hope and faith, that's the place that God, His Spirit flows out of our life and uses us, not only for our own life, but to minister to others too. And, you know, that's, that's the kind of life that God has for us. That's what He's got for us to live in. Um, good stuff, huh? Man, unreasonable hope. It's, I mean, this is just like, this is great. It's better than any painkiller. You think, like, people are, like, doing all sort of stuff, self-medicating, to, because life is too much. But there's a, a hope that God pours into our hearts. That's, it doesn't change the circumstances necessarily but it changes who we are. And it brings something about in our life. It changes the circumstances. And so I, um, man, my prayer is that, that God would, would help us, that he would today, that we would have a, a deposit of his hope. And that we would take the hope that he's given us and keep developing it and living in that place more and more. I just want to close with this, this last scripture in, in Romans fifteen thirteen. It says, may the God of hope fill you. He is the God of hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Anybody want that today? May the God of hope fill us with joy and peace in believing so that by the Holy Spirit we may abound in hope. Let's pray together. Let's ask God to do that. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you wire us to, to have unreasonable hope. And today, I, I pray for, for anyone here that's in a place of, of really needing that. Lord, I ask that by the Holy Spirit right now, you would, you would, you would come into those places that you would percolate up in their hearts and there would be a sense of hope that, that rises and comes from you. Lord, help us all to put our hope in you. Help us to grow in that. Help us to develop that. Lord, help us to bring your hope to a world that is so desperately needs it. Lord, let us be, be people that have that in impossible situations. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow, that was uh, incredibly encouraging. I don't know about you, but uh, just helping me.